Okay, if you're, if you're hearing this, it means that you have delved back into the early episodes of the show. And whilst we really appreciate that, we just want to give a, I guess, a little disclaimer, Mateus. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the early episodes, I was editing this whole thing on a very amateur platform, and we basically just recorded a Zoom call. So um, that's why the quality isn't, you know, awesome. Yeah, we, we didn't have proper microphones. We didn't have proper headphones. But thankfully, it's grown grown into something that's, that's fairly successful now. We were able to have proper equipment and hire people to take care of all that pesky um, audio side of things. But we just wanted to put this out there and let people know that if if you do check out the early episodes and the sound quality isn't perfect, which we know it isn't, please just jump ahead and listen to some of those layer episodes. I don't know if you've got a couple that you particularly like that people can start on, Matthias. Oh, I mean, some of my favorites are, of course, uh, the Howl episodes we did with the Ed Gamester or um, uh, the talks that we had with uh, Shane as well. They were hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, we've got fan favorites like Ina Selvik and all of Highland who joined us for an episode. Um, and Lisa Gedalia was one of my personal favorites. Yes, and Terry Gunnell as well has some very interesting talks with some really high-profile professors. So go check him out. And now we're just dropping names. Now we're just dropping names. <laughs> <laughs> no, we thank you for, for starting out of the early episodes. And please do listen to them. We, you know, we put, still put a lot of love and effort into them. But you do have to bear with us on the on the audio side of things. It does get better as you go through the episodes. And, and I guess it's quite a... Some people enjoy seeing us go through that motion and go from amateur to a little less amateur, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's jump into the show. Welcome to episode seven of the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, co-owner of the company Horns of Odin. And I'm joined, as always, by Dr. Matthias Nordvig. Hello, everybody. Yeah, so we've got a bit of a, a bit of a fun episode uh, planned today. It's a, a bit of a change in, in direction from what we've done so far. We're going to have a, a couple of episodes looking at the, the different heroes and trying to dissect fact from fiction and see if there's any truth behind any of these these myths. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um, uh, and I, I think I think at this point, um, we can always just start by saying it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, everything is complicated. And that's quite a good segue into the first thing we just wanted to quickly mention that we'd, we kind of noticed this week is something that's been floating around in, in Twitter spaces where I saw it. And that's the, the, the counter-terrorism police unit in the UK has put some of the Norse symbols on their uh, right-wing signs and symbols aid for people to, to watch out for. So on there we have, um, they've added the Milner, they've got the Valknut, they have the Triskel, and the Ewa, is it Ewa's rune? Yeah, it's it's... Spelled weirdly, it's Algish um, originally. Algish. That's the original name of it. But but here it's Elhas. And yeah, I've seen that uh, version of the name before. 
Yeah, and they've also got the they've also got the Celtic cross on there as well. Yeah, the Celtic cross. Uh, there's also uh, the so-called Odin's rune. These uh, the 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 Othal O yeah. rune with the prongs, and then the wolf's hook, and another one that's also sometimes mistakenly uh, perceived as a Nordic symbol: the the black sun. Um, yeah, it's quite it's quite saddening to see the these things being put on there. Um, you know, it's. It's just yeah, I mean, it's just disappointing. I guess I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely disappointing to see um, uh, symbols or derivations of symbols, um, evolutions of symbols that that uh, were meaningful in a in a pre-Christian Nordic context, um, all of a sudden being labeled uh, right-wing uh, science and symbols. Um, and and uh, yeah, uh, being being sort of uh, scrutinized by counterterrorism uh, task force. Uh, but I mean, on the other hand, um, these symbols are generally used in in those contexts um, by 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 these white supremacists. So um, obviously, this is something that 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 um, various uh, police forces and. Uh, and and task forces need to be aware of. Yeah, it's obviously been deemed enough enough of a threat that they obviously want to put it on there. But I mean, it's just it's a shame that there's such a community of people who who use these symbols, and it's you know it's purely innocent. It's for the the true ancestral rites, and you know the, the, there's thousands, tens of thousands of people who wear the Milner around their neck, and putting a list out like this to the ordinary layperson kind of opens up scrutiny to to the people who walk down the street who have just got a millionaire around their neck almost to to to, to just receive criticism openly yeah and, and you know a, a very real problem for for people in this context could be for instance admission to various countries uh this list of symbols is uh is very similar to the one uh, that the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center here in the U.S. Uh, has. And this means that if you are traveling to the U.S. and uh, as, a, as a non-U.S. citizen uh, come to the border and customs um, uh, situation where you're questioned by uh, an uh, officer, um, so what are you doing here and all of these things that, that, I mean, if you have tattoos with some of these symbols or you have some of these symbols um, in, in other contexts, maybe you're wearing a t-shirt with a, uh, the Valknut on it, or you're wearing a Mjolnir uh, as a pendant around your neck, mm-hmm. um, then you might have to explain yourself. Um, because that is that is something that, that that does happen once in a while that that a officer with that kind of knowledge will then question that, and um, that's of course problematic. Um, I mean, if if you don't have any associations with these kinds of uh, of groups, and uh, you have an association with um, your pre-Christian Nordic uh, heritage. Um, then all of a sudden, something that is quite legitimate is is being scrutinized as as uh, as as uh, you know dangerous, um, and that's that's not just unfortunate. That is, in my opinion, 
um, well, kind of a violation of, <laughs> yeah, of our traditions. It's sad to think that if, you know, if I was to go to, to America on holiday and I get to go through the, the customs and the millionaire around my neck's hanging out that I maybe looked at disfavorably and, and pulled to one side and questioned for it when, you know, the, the, it's, it's such a tough one because there are people who unfortunately have gathered the, these symbols up and are using them to, to you know, spread hate. So it's just, so, I think it's such a tough situation to, to find something because we don't want to see them on this list, but equally we, we also want to stamp out the use of these symbols by the, these sort of neo-Nazi right-wing groups. Yeah, and you know, there's one thing I'm wondering. Um, I'm wondering uh, how long will it take for the Icelandic Vevis here, um, the so-called snowflake, <laughs> to, to get on there? Because yeah. that is something that you also see being used as a symbol in context of right-wing groups nowadays, um, simply because it's a symbol that's being used by so many different people. And yeah, I, and you ha- you have to ask yourself um, where wh- where do we where do we draw the line in in these things? It, yeah, I mean it's tough because you if you don't put up a fight against it, you soon lose everything. So yeah. if you know if we if we just get, sacrifice those symbols, then suddenly you're going to lose more and more. So in my opinion, and I'm sure you probably agree with me, that you have to take some sort of stance from like our side as a community to you, you, you know, using these symbols in the correct way and their original way and not just kind of giving in and saying, okay, we're not going to use these anymore, no matter if you have to try and educate people as to what these symbols actually are and hopefully make a change that way rather than just sacrificing them and then being lost to the assholes of white supremacists forever oh absolutely i mean um i have a tattoo appointment soon to to get the valknut uh, tattooed so uh, <laughs> you booked that after our symbols <laughs> oh <podcast>. yeah <laughs> yeah because this this symbol means something to something to me that um that is meaningful in a, in a modern context and uh, and that's fine <laughs> you know <laughs> um, yeah so i mean we wanted to just bring that up obviously at the start of the podcast it's something that that we've we've seen flying around, and we obviously want to try and keep up to, up to speed with the the most recent recent things that are, that are happening in the in the North world. Yeah, absolutely, and I I, I can't I, I I can't say this enough. I mean, um, I I know people who have, for instance, young pendants here in uh, in the U.S. that they don't wear that they don't wear around their neck because they're worried that they're gonna be um, assumed to be uh, white supremacists, Nazis, and so on. And I, I can't say it enough. I, guys, I just think you should wear them. And if yeah. anybody ever questions you, um, educate them. That's it. You've got to arm yourself with the knowledge to to be able to counteract whatever they say and give them the, the historical answer and hopefully change some opinions. We're only ever going to change opinions through, through having conversations, through having debates, and mm-hmm. just... Yeah, being able to explain explain yourself and not not necessarily explain yourself, but explain what they are and change you know change people's minds. Yeah, yeah, and and you know there's there's no reason to be ambiguous about this. Uh, I mean, if you don't agree with uh, the ideologies of of white supremacists, then also say that very stated very clearly um, in context of 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 wearing such symbols, because that is the only way that 
you know, we could get these symbols off that list again. That's it. I think I think the, the, the moment you start taking them off and putting them away, it almost makes it look like there's something to hide. It like yeah. you're embarrassed. You're like you're embarrassed of it. You don't want to wear it, and that almost feeds into the the negativity from the other side of as well. You know, if there's nothing wrong with it, why aren't you wearing it? Why have you taken it off? And and it just snowballs, and, and suddenly you find yourself losing losing heritage. Exactly, and that 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 is the main problem. I mean, the, unfortunately, because the, the 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 historical situation and processes that uh, uh, where you know Northern Europeans have seen their uh, culture as being appropriated by nefarious um, uh, political ideologies. Um, then all of a sudden we, we, we have this problem that we can't just we can't just do the things that we would like to do with it. We, we have to explain ourselves. And the only way, the only way to uh, fix that is to uh, go out and use that stuff for good um, and um, make sure to be vocal and explain to people that, that you do not align yourself with those types of ideologies um, and those ways of uh, treating other human beings, and um, and and then explain to people exactly what do these symbols, thoughts, and ideas, and and such that have to do with Northern Europe um, mean to you as a as a human being. Um, I think that's the that's the only way that we can uh, uh, show the counterterrorism police task force. Uh, in the UK, <laughs> that they're not right about these symbols, that they, they, they are not just that, and they shouldn't just be labeled as that. And I think it's a very good point that you're making, Daniel, that, uh, you know, if, um, if we don't use these symbols, then all of a sudden we end up with a situation where we, you know, conceded to this notion that, that these symbols represent some kind of white supremacy. And there are so many people out there in the world especially here in North America, who have a need for uh, belonging to, to, to an identity. Um, a lot of people are looking to Northern Europe um, because it's part of their ancestry. And, um, and they have a right to have that identity too. So, uh, so they shouldn't feel ashamed, for instance. They shouldn't feel apprehensive to, to partake in that. Uh, identity simply because there, there, there are certain people out there who associate that with white supremacy. Let's not forget that these symbols have a history of well over a thousand years in some cases. So you can't dismiss, you know, 960 of them because in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, people have started, you know, wiring, wiring group, white right-wing groups have started to, to steal them and uh, appropriate them. You can't forget the rest of the history before that. No, absolutely not. There's a little bit of a tongue twister there. <laughs> <laughs> right, on that note, let's let's jump on to the, the main topic of, uh, of this podcast. I'm really excited about it. It's something that hopefully I think the listeners will really like. I think hopefully people don't get offended and are able to separate what we're talking about now from obviously the heavily popular Vikings TV show. Um, obviously, we are going to speak about Ragnar, who is the who was the lead character during the show. So people have, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who've got very attached to him as a character and get very upset if you ever say anything <laughs> negative about about him. But I think it's 
in, in, you know, in the vein of what this podcast is, we always try to give the factual side and hopefully people see that and you can, that just because we're saying this is the true side and the factual side of the mythology and, and who he was, you can still love and enjoy the other side and, and the show. Are you, you ready to jump straight into it? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I, was, I was just looking at my notes and thinking to myself, "Oh, hey, sorry, things to go through." <laughs> no worries, right? I was like looking at your face, and you, I was like, "Is he going to speak back or no?" <laughs> oh yeah, I am. <laughs> Don't worry about it. We have these moments, you know. We're still a, a fledgling podcast. Some of the some of the top podcasts in the world also have these moments. So Absolutely. To be ashamed of. Yeah. Okay. So yes. Um, no. <laughs> Do you want me to to lead the dance and kind of ask the questions that I have? Um, because to be honest, Ragnar is somebody that I know unashamedly know very little about other than the TV show. So I'm kind of in the position where there's a lot I want to ask on yes. the reality side. Yeah. So, okay. So let me just lead off with, with one thing, and that is the source situation to Ragnar Lothbrok. As, as, a, as a figure in, in history and uh, especially literary history, because uh, there's, there's a lot of, of, of written material that references either um, somebody who could be identified as Ragnar Lothbrok, or possibly identified as Ragnar Lothbrok, uh, or his sons, the sons of, of Ragnar Lothbrok. Um, we, first of all, we have um, several Icelandic sagas from the, the, the 13th century. Um, we have the saga of Ragnar Lothbrok. Uh, we have the tale of Ragnar's sons. Uh, the um, history of the Norwegian kings, Heimskringla, also has a reference to him. Um, then we have some, uh, we have the um, um, legendary saga, Hervara saga, and also a, f- a fragment uh, of uh, the saga, uh, or sa- sort of like a um, a, a, a king's saga fragment uh, about the Swedish and Danish kings. Um, so that's just from Iceland. And then we have Danish sources referencing him. We have the Chronicle of Roskilde uh, from the 1100s. We have uh, Sven Akesen, who was a Danish um, historian in the late 1100s, who also refers to him. And then we have the uh, Saxo Grammaticus, the, the uh, sort of like most prominent Danish historian from, from the 1200s, and uh, who's writing about uh, Ragnar in Gesta Danorum, the history of the Danish king, uh, or the Danish people. Then we have also poetry, uh, skaldic poetry, Ragnar Straupa, uh, that mentions him. And uh, Kraukumau is another poem. Um, these are written down in, in Icelandic contexts, um, again, but they're older than the, the medieval period. Then we have <laughs> Frankish sources that refer to a, uh, a Reginherus uh, or Ragnar in context of the siege of Paris in um, 845. And we have uh, William of Jumiège uh, in the uh, 1070s approximately, who is also who also seems to uh, be mentioning a king 
named Lothbrok or Ragnar and to some extent. And then we have the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles <laughs> um, and uh, even Irish sources referring to either Ragnar or, or his sons in particular. So, so there's, there's a lot of written material that, that have some kind of connection to, to this figure, whether or not he's historical or uh, uh, fictional. That's another question then. So that means it's not going to be very complicated if we've got all this, all this source material. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's a lot more material than, than I knew about. Um, now, the first question I want to ask, which I'm sure is what everyone wants to know, is was he a real person? <laughs> now, from, from the very limited um, understanding of what I know of the, of the saga side, I know that he slays a dragon in, in one of them. Now, I'm not a zoologist, but I'm pretty sure dragons aren't real. <laughs> that side of things always made me kind of lean towards him not being a real person, but it's complicated, I'm guessing. So what we must understand is that in this world of narration about the past that exists in Iceland in the 13th century, um, and also the 12th century for that matter, and, and later, that uh, sort of imaginary world is centered around the figure Sigurd the Dragon Slayer, um, whose story was so very, very popular in Northern Europe that we have uh, versions of it um, basically from all the, the quote-unquote Germanic countries, from Germany, from, um, from the English area, we have uh, from the Danish area, from, from, from Scandinavia in general, and of course Iceland and so on, in picture stones, um, uh, carvings on state churches and, and all that stuff. And the thing about Sigurd the Dragon Slayer is that, well, he slays the dragon. So, <laughs> so rule number one of um, you know uh, catchy stories, right, is that if if a certain theme resonates with an audience, that theme will reappear in, in in tales over and over. And this is also this also seems to be the case here that um, that Ragna slays a dragon uh, or a giant serpent sometimes too. Um, <laughs> comes from uh, this this tendency to tell stories about great heroes who slay dragons and we can go deep into like what what is behind this is the story about thor fishing for the midgard serpent and fighting it at uh, ragnarok um that's a possibility uh, is there biblical influence um the, the, the medieval christian tales about saint george for instance uh, and so on and so forth and it all comes together in just one big heap at least if you ask me one big heap of popular stories about the hero who fights the dragon and sometimes he fights the dragon to kill evil sometimes that dragon represents satan sometimes uh he fights the dragon simply to get rich which is the case with sigurd the dragon slayer and sometimes he fights the dragon to get with a hot lady which is the case with Ragnar. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's that's the first thing that we have to uh, remember that Ragnar is a figure, um, a, a narrative figure, a great hero that um, is being used in in uh, medieval Scandinavia and Viking Age Scandinavia possibly um, 
is of course there to demonstrate to people what it means to be a good hero. And that hero, of course, also has to do the deeds of, of a typical um, uh, story uh, figure, right? Which would be the dragon slaying and so on. Um, so yeah, no, it, I, I don't think dragons were real. <laughs> they, they, they were probably not in existence in the, in the Viking Age. We have no archaeological evidence of such, except for okay. images. So is there, is there any evidence he was a real a real figure, a real, a real person, a real king. Well, so yeah, I mean, there is there is evidence of 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 somebody named Ragnar who, uh, depending on which sources we read, inhabits different roles. As I mentioned, the siege of Paris, um, uh, we have the mention of a, a of a leader named Ragnar. Um, then. Uh, we also have a certain Ragnar uh, who is awarded land by Charles the Bald in uh, 841 um, in, in the northern French area. It is now a part of Belgium. Um, Charles the Bald, king of, uh, of France, gives this uh, uh, Ragnar a, um, a, a piece of land, but then he falls out of favor. And... Um, it is. It is. Uh, uh, the question is what? What? Where is he from? And who is he? Uh, what? What? What kind of uh, uh, historical figures can he be related to? And it has been suggested that um, that uh, uh, Ragnar, um, this particular Ragnar, might have been either an agent of the Danish king Horik the first, or even King Horik the first himself. It, that's that's like a little iffy. But nonetheless, according to the French sources, he goes back to Denmark, Ragnar goes back to Denmark and then dies there of an illness. So that's, the, that's one historical figure named Ragnar who can be authenticated to some extent as having been a nuisance to the French. Okay. So that's, that's one thing. Then we have, of course, um, the uh, um, English sources, the Anglo-Saxon um, sources, where, where we have a reference to his sons and uh, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle uh, um, mentions um, uh, what looks to be uh, the names um, uh, Eva and Halfden, so two sons of, of, uh, of Ragnar. Uh, and they, they come as, as part of the, the great heathen army invading Devon um, and, and so on. Uh, now, the, the the fact that the historical sources from the English area only seem to mention the sons of Ragnar has made um, uh, historians question uh, whether or not Ragnar was actually a historical figure. Um, so, so, so that's how, if we look at it in terms of like source hierarchy, the sources that we that we typically as historians want to trust. Um, which would be chronicles and and sort of more um, more uh, consistent literary expositions from the continent. There does seem to be a Ragnar. There does seem to be Ragnar's sons as well. So, if the Anglo-Saxon chronicles are referencing Ragnar's sons, does that not lead to the point that they must have known who a Ragnar was? or at least find it important enough 
to, or him important enough to then say, well, his sons are here. It's, I, I feel like they wouldn't have just mentioned everybody's sons that came, if that makes, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's a very good point. The question is, of course, like, are, are we dealing, uh, <laughs> or like, what is the situation here? Are we, like, um, why would they mention um, uh, uh, somebody who are uh, Ragnar's sons uh, if they didn't know a, a Ragnar? Um, but uh, I mean, what we also see is um, uh, an Irish source that names a, a King Halfton who died around 877, who was called Mac uh, Ragnar. So that would be a uh, son of uh, Ragnar, perhaps either Ragnvald or Ragnar. Um, the question is, of course, at what? So at this point, um, like, what was the knowledge that these um, writers in uh, the Insular Chronicles actually had of this person Ragnar? Was was where did they get it from? Did they get it from? other Scandinavians that have informed them, oh, these are the sons of Ragnar. Um, at what point are we dealing with some, for instance, misunderstandings? And if there was, for instance, a misunderstanding that was then recorded in a source that was authoritative, right, that other uh, writers would then use later on, then you get the reproduction of that misunderstanding, which we see in so many different cases. Um, so is yeah. the is there any mention of Ragnar himself in England by like by any of the sources, or is it all ref, you know referencing his sons? Is there any kind of he he came and he did this, or he did you know he did that? He invaded here, or is it all literally kind of his sons are here? It's it's um it's his sons. That are that are showing up, especially Halston and 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 Eva, who um, may be presumed to be Eva the Boneless, and uh, they uh, there, there's also this weird uh, reference in the Annals of Saint Neitz um, of of the daughters of Lothbrok. Um, this is this is the famous mention of the Raven Banner, where it is said that the, the uh, daughters of Lothbrok uh, uh, wove this flag um, uh, in a, in a day or something like that. And um, no, there, there's not really like a, a, a mentioning of him specifically coming and doing something. It is his sons or or other offspring of him. For me, that would kind of lean towards him almost not being this big real figure it's more of <sighs> people almost attaching themselves to this this legendary figure because it gives them a little bit more more of you know of, an, of a, a pack more of a punch when they do arrive yeah but but then again we have um, uh, we have the Danish sources, these uh, chronicles of, of Danish kings uh, that mention um, Ragnar Lothbrok in, in different capacities. And they're very, um, it's, it's a big mess in terms of uh, his, uh, his lineage. 
Um, it's also a big mess whether or not he's like Danish or Norwegian or Swedish or like which part of what he, him or his son's rule and so on. Um, but uh, I mean, it at a very at a, at a time that is very close to when the um, uh, some of these sources from England are being written, we have the Danish uh, historians writing about him and giving these um, uh, uh, indications that he might have been a real king. Uh, if nothing else, uh, Sigurd snake in the eye. He he seems to have been a uh, you know a real uh, figure, a real human being, so to speak, who ruled in Denmark. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 very very complicated. There's definitely a lot of legend and fiction involved here. And do you think that would be something that that maybe there is a real person who's achieved? a certain amount, and then after the fact, there is just all this legend attached to the name to kind of like puff it up and make it, make it bigger and bigger and better as, as you know, as you tell the, tell the story to make him seem even, even more powerful than he was. Maybe. I mean, uh, according to, especially the Danish uh, sources and especially Saxo, like he's all over the map. He goes to, uh, northern Scandinavia to to Finland and Bjarmaland and and so on. He goes, yeah, according to some of the other Danish chronicles, he invades Russia too, um, and you know he he does everything. <laughs> okay. So so th- that's another principle of stories, right? That you um, once a figure, a, a either semi historical, semi mythical figure. Achieves certain status or sufficient mass, uh, then you know all, all these like legends and stories, semi-historical stories about other events, start attaching themselves to him, right? Mm-hmm. And that seems to be what is happening both in the Icelandic material, uh, the saga material from Iceland, and and the Danish uh, chronicles. Um, this might be actually a good pa- uh, place to just pick up on one of the listener questions. Um, the one from Finbar who asks, what does the name Ragnar mean? Um, and they are also asking if that, if it has anything uh, to do with Ragnarök, because uh, this name Ragnar, we can, uh, um, so the basic meaning of it is interesting in that regard, because it, um, it, it, it is a composition of uh, of the word um, uh, regin, which in in some capacities means deity, um, rulers, and in some capacity uh, means um, setting things in order, which is sort of a quality that is a- attached to the function of deities, right? And then the other part, uh, hari, uh, is is a old Germanic word for warrior. So, you know, when you think about it, uh, when it when when it comes down to such a legendary figure, it might might be a title that yeah. an, an original title for for these warlords that were leading uh, Viking armies and even before then, uh, various kinds of Germanic war uh, armies. That's a possibility uh, that that Ragnar was actually a title. And, uh, and, and therefore, that, that's one of the things that could explain 
the, this massive confusion there is. How he was doing things all over the place. And yeah. <laughs> it makes sense that was actually going to be the next question that I asked was, you know, how popular the name Ragnar was at the time. And is it possible that it's just a case that there is a bunch of men called Ragnar doing different things and everybody has just somehow attached them all to one to one figure or one kind of, not even necessarily a real person, but just, just, just this name has become all these different people have, have become this one legend. Yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a very real possibility. I mean, either you have, uh, in the Viking Age, uh, a time where Ragnar has become a, a relatively popular name, or Ragnar uh, might be in that first part of the 800s uh, functioning as, as, as a title, as a warlord's title. Um, that is a possibility. I mean- I mean, it's as you just, said, obviously, it literally breaks down to, like, a warrior, I guess, like, God warrior or warrior of God. So it's a very, it's a very striking name. It is. Title. It is a very striking name. And Better you, Daniel. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> and if you're thinking about this in terms of, um, I mean, we have to always keep in mind that the way that these people Vikings, Scandinavians, whatever you want to call them in the first part of the 800s, uh, were warriors, right? Was very much a, a, so the, 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 the warrior, the ideas of, of warriorhood and so on were closely linked to spiritual ideas. And this is something that we see globally. Um, we, we, we can, can use multiple other peoples as, as reference points in this you you go to war with a war leader that you trust as a warrior right you um you assume that he will have luck in battle possibly also sometimes she and um and in that sense in that context there is a certain level of a of of um, um supernatural spirituality maybe even divinity attached to such a warlord and so maybe at some point you start calling that person the god warrior i mean it's not uncommon even today that the people in some some religions they want to be or seen as a warrior of god yes obviously it's it's related more related to like the christian god or or allah but it's still it's still there it's still seen as a good thing to be this god's warrior doing god's work and i guess in this instance it could be kind of like Odin's warrior. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, I mean, you even see it in uh, in the uh, um, U.S. infantry nowadays. You know, the uh, um, uh, the uh, the highest ranking general is sometimes uh, sort of it has has it has a more special status than um, than others. And um, and and you put your trust and faith in him. To, to guide you and you see that in in militaries all over the world today still and this is a very natural human function you know um one of the things that is very uncertain for for us humans today is still warfare right we have to rely on our own skills and abilities and also a portion of luck right and when, as soon as we're dealing with a portion of luck we humans tend to get um, what in other contexts might be called superstitious or or religious about it, and um, and that 
would have been the same situation for these people, right? So they were reliant on their leader to have that portion of luck to guide them in battle, make sure that they are successful and that um, at least the majority of the people in the ranks survive. And so that, that's, that might be part of, uh, you know, why such a name uh, be, uh, becomes popular. And as I said, might, might have been used as a title. We're, we can't be entirely sure about that, but it's a possibility. If, I, if I'm completely honest, if I was going to go into a war with just an axe and a, and a wooden shield, I think I would pray to every single god that has ever existed, <laughs> known to humankind. Because yep. it, I think it would just be that human, that human instinct of, of I, you know, I'm not necessarily a religious person, but in the back of my mind, I would be like, if you're real, please let me come out of this safely. Yep. No, I I, I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like a just a human instinct. I don't know whether it's an innate thing that is is in there from obviously thousands of years of people believing in in deities, or it's just a, my inner coward. <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, no. It's it's this loss of control as an individual, right? You you assume that you're in control of your life. You assume that you're in control of the things that happen in your life. Um, but when you then realize, oh, wait, I'm not totally in control. That's usually when you see people um, turning to deities or, or, or other um, metaphysical beings or whatever you want to call them, right? Um, trans-empirical beings is a, is a scholarly term for it. Um, that, I was going to say, that's, yeah. a, that's an interesting point because also we've got to remember we're talking about people who believe that their fate is already woven that their fear is, is, you know, whatever's going to happen is going to happen and it's already in the God's hands. So mm -hmm. it's not unsurprising that they would, you know, would see somebody, especially if somebody's really prolific in battle and they were, you know, they, they were winning fight after fight and, and coming away unscathed, that they would almost see them as, a, you know, they have been favoured by the gods. Yeah, absolutely. So this would be a, almost a God's, you know, God's warrior. God has touched you. As be, to be this great warrior, it's not your time to go to, to Valhalla just yet. And you're doing exactly. kind of like Odin's work yes. in Midgard, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's very likely that that would have been part of it. And that could explain the, the, the name Ragnar. And it could explain it as a title. It could explain it, uh, explain why it appears in so many sources. Um, of course, then what we have to ask ourselves, what what is up with this? Lothbrok thing. We have these, uh, so that means uh, you usually see it uh, translated to some this weird archaic English shaggy breeches. Um, That's the one I've seen. Yeah, which means what? Furry shaggy pants or something mm -hmm. like that. The, the and, one I got was it meant that from something to do with the dragon and wearing shaggy pants stopped the dragon biting him. Yeah, and there are two versions of that. There, there's, I, there's the one where he, he gets a um, sort of like uh, not just the pants, but also uh, a coat. Where and then he dips it in tar, I think it is, um, and that uh, prevents the the dragon from uh, it's it's poison from 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 hurting him. And then there's the more badass version where he um, as he uh, he comes within sight of land, uh, he jumps off uh, his boat, and then he walks in the water onto land and when he comes out of the water 
the uh, the this shaggy coat and pants uh, freezes over. I mean, that's very Viking, right? Yeah. And then, then he can't get bit, and and that's that's why he earned the nickname uh, Shaggy Pants. Of course, those are very late versions of the uh, of of the legend about him. So okay. we don't know what uh, what was the actual origin of this. Um, uh, this uh, uh, this by name or um, appellative is that what Lothbrook would translate as in as say just literally in Old Norse, or is that just something that has come? Yeah, the, the, it would it would translate as like shaggy pants or or furry pants or something like that. I mean, it could also be I don't know maybe maybe the guy liked to wear uh, bear pants and they're, they're pretty furry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that shaggy was a word a thousand years ago. <laughs> Feels like an odd word to have survived that long. Well, I mean, I, I no, I mean, I, I'm not a native English speaker, so I don't know what you're, how you, <laughs> what, what connotations you add to it. <laughs> but um, no, uh, shaggy was would be the right word in like a furry yeah. kind of. So it, it's it's the correct word. It just seems like a. To me, it certainly just feels like an odd word. Yeah, you know, maybe it's just maybe it's one of those that was really common at the time, and it's just kind of lost its its meaning in modern era. Because it's not used as much. The word is still used in Scandinavian. Uh, the same word, loth, uh, is still still used for for that meaning. Um, okay. like furry, shaggy. Uh, yeah. In like in Danish, it's lolen, uh, which yeah, just means something that's furry. Oh. Um, so yeah, no, it's um. I mean, the, a possible, like, sort of, like, realistic explanation for it could be that he got his got that name because he, you know, had a pair of, um, a, yeah, I don't know, long-haired sheep skin pants, or uh, I don't know, uh, something like uh, bear bear pants. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's assuming that it's just, obviously he's a single person. That is assuming that he's a single person, um, but we do see this in naming traditions in Scandinavia. That the Scandinavians have a tendency to focus on weird, uh, weird, uh, like appellatives. You know, somebody is named curly hair or uh, something like that. So, so one one thing that I'm I'm thinking is, was he was he referred to as Lothbrook in? Like the Anglo-Saxon chronicles we were talking about earlier, where they say the sons of Ragnar, is he? Do they refer to him as just Ragnar, or is it Ragnar Lothbrok? Is it possible that Ragnar is his title, and then this kind of name has almost become legendary, and then they create the the, the legendary story of the Dragon Slayer after and give him this title, Lothbrok, to go with it? Does that does that kind of make sense? How maybe it may. It might have just transformed over time into this this legendary figure with this name. So the thing is that in the uh, um, in the uh, insular and continental sources, there there are different sort of vari- variations of 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 that Lothbrok name that uh, that we can see. Um, I mean, we can see that 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 they that that is what they mean. But we have, for instance, in that aforementioned in the, in the annals of Saint Newts, um, Lodebrook. Um, then sometimes we also have Lot Tarki showing up, and um, 
that's the way that the, you know um, in the translation uh, into Latin or some kind of uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon Latin, um, these names will will get mangled and 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 changed. Let's see the Danish um, um, Sven Akesen, the Danish uh, uh, chronicler, he mentions Regnerus Lothbroch. Um, and the uh, Chronicle of Roskilde mentions Lothpardus. So, so there, there are different variations of this word. And again, of course, scholars have also even questioned, are they the same? Um, and can we accept that, that they're all talking about the same figure and, and so on and so forth? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't kind of expecting this episode to go like this. <laughs> I, I, but not in a not in a bad way. I just, like I said, I had a very limited understanding of the of the subject, and I kind of just assumed that there was one one main figure, and then maybe like these little stories that came along with it. But now, the more we talk, the more I'm thinking that it it probably is a title of some sort, and it's been attached to these different these different people. That's definitely the way I'm starting to to lean. It's a possibility. Um, I mean, as as a scholar, I'm always cautious about saying saying one over the other. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to try and pin you down there. Was like, if, yeah, I know. If you had to nail, you know, nail your like uh, the wall, which ones are going to be? <laughs> I think you know um, one thing that speaks towards this notion that he was a real historical figure, possibly a king in some part of Scandinavia. Is that is this consistency of naming his sons, the sons of Ragnar Lothbrok, and the sources do deviate a little bit about like who are sons of Ragnar Lothbrok, but they they do tend to be consistent about naming Eva the Boneless and um, and and Bjorn Ironside and Halfton are also you know considered. Definitely his sons, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, another one. Upa gets a little more iffy. Some sources um, are, aren't particularly clear on whether or not he's he's the son, he's a, he's a real son or not, or if he's the son of of Ragna with another woman, and so on and so forth. But those four sons right there, they they are um, real historical characters. Kvitsak is another one who's also a little iffy and and they're they're consistently referred to as sons of Ragnar so you know you know you you have to ask yourself what would be the point of calling them the sons of Ragnar uh, Lothbrok in particular if there was not a historical figure known as such right See what you're doing to me? You sway me back in the opposite direction now. <laughs> I thought I had myself my mind made up. I thought I was there, and then now it's just all <laughs> gone up in the air again. Yeah, but that's 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 what you want to be about these uh, uh, these historical uh, things, right? You want to be a little bit uncertain. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> so yeah, that, that like you said, that makes me think. Like you said, what would be the point of attaching? Especially if it's in multiple sources, time after time, these particular names as sons to this one, one person. If it wasn't a real person, and like you said, we know that they are real people. Yeah, and uh, I mean, as I said, the, the possibility could be that the historical sources, and especially in, in the British Isles, 
they they misunderstand some kind of reference some Scandinavian has reported somewhere, and then they think that's a historical figure where the Scandinavian might have been talking about I don't know their 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 war leader. Uh, well, this is Ragnar Lothbrok. He's got shaky pants. That mm-hmm. he's our war leader was shaky pants or something like that, and then they interpret that as a name. That's a possibility, of course. Um, but but we we yeah, as I said complicated we can't know <laughs> we don't we don't really really know no <laughs> yeah i mean it's that's really interesting like i was expecting it to be more kind of like definite he did this he did that he did this but we're not sure maybe if he did this so when it comes to to england we have kind of no because the show is obviously quite heavily going, you know, going back to the TV show and how they what they've done with it, is because that's going to be where a lot of people are getting their their knowledge from about Baragna. And obviously, he plays a huge part of the show in England and kind of exploring the different kingdoms. And I know he famously dies in the snake pit in England. So, is there any truth to any of that of him kind of floating around in England with an army and causing troubles and and almost getting land and, and being thrown in this pit of snakes to. So, um, there's, so, so he does not ever show up in England himself. It seems like if, if, um, if he's the same, uh, if the historical figure, Ragnar, um, um, besieged, Paris in 845, and he is the person who had those four sons, right? Um, that that's been suggested. Then then he never went to England. He went to to northern uh, France, and he went to Paris. And then perhaps his sons then went to England. You would assume that besieging Paris is something big enough to give somebody that that legendary status to then make it worthwhile. Of his sons, that's you know that besieging Paris is something that is going to get passed around. So that would explain why when his sons come to to England, they would then be like, "All right, maybe we need to pay attention." These are the sons of the guy who besieged Paris. Yes, um, of course there is this part of like um, getting captured by King Ayla of Northumbria and thrown in the uh, uh, snake pit. That is also a consistent element, right? Um, but the the circumstances that that, that that revolve around this are 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 iffy, right? So I mean, according to the the, the various sources that we have, um, we can see that Ragnar is possibly married three times, um, and and La, uh, Lagerth is is one figure. That's the one Lagertha from uh, um, from the show Vikings. Um, another one is Thora, and another one is Auslök, who is also known as Krauka and possibly also known as Svanlök. Um, yeah, there you go, right? It's never simple. You know, <laughs> then aside from that, where there seems to be some consistency is the fact that he's the father of these uh, Viking figures, Eva the Boneless, Bjorn Ironside, Sigurd Snake in the Eye, Kvitser. Yeah. Let me ask you a question before we get too far away. Um, with Auslök, now, is is that? Can we say that she's a real a real figure? Just because is she the same one who is in 
this, this saga of the four songs and he kind of has like a little bit of a crossover is that I, obviously I don't want to jump us down too big of a rapid hole but I assume we're not going to come back and focus on her as a single character so it's something that kind of just popped into my mind that I remember seeing this crossover yes yeah so um, Owlsley as a figure is um, is a sort of a, a, a secret daughter of Sigurd the Dragon Slayer um, and I believe that the, the story goes that she's um, she's her mother is Alfild who is of the elves so you can see how that goes into um, mythology right there mm-hmm. right um, well, and, and the fact her father slayed a dragon Oh yeah, that thing too. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, one thing that we have to note here is that the story about Sigurd the Dragon Slayer seems to have its origins in some time before the 500s. So that's one thing, right? Um, that means then that if Vodagna is a historical figure in the late 700s, early 800s, then he can't have been... Uh, very close in time to Sigurd the Dragon Slayer. <laughs> yeah. okay. And I guess Auslug would be like 300 years old uh, when they meet. Okay. <laughs> so um, that kind of answers answers that in a, in a roundabout way. That, that maybe it's just a case of these stories kind of getting mixed. They they are definitely together. getting mixed, right? Because Ragnar is a is a as I started out by saying he's a he's a figure who takes on certain elements of Sigurd the Dragon Slayer. Um, the snake and serpents being a, a, a you know predominant motif in all of that stuff. Also dying in a snake pit. Um, and and yeah, in the legends in Scandinavia, he his family gets tied in with the family of Sigurd the Dragon Slayer. Um, when we then, you know, compare that with literary uh, historical or more historical sources from 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 outside of Scandinavia, we see, oh, wait a minute, this this is happening in the Viking Age, like in the crux of the, the early Viking Age, at least in the first part of the 800s. And, and I mean, that, of course, then tells us that there is some disconnect between the legends um, and, and the historical figures that might have been named Ragnar. I mean, I, I assume it would be possible that maybe just a, a really beautiful lady who had a bit of status came up and she... she she just said, "I'm the, you know, I'm the daughter of Sigurd the Dragon Slayer." It would be kind of, I guess, it's kind of impressive to say. And in that kind of in that world that they're living in, um, where mythology and, and the gods are so so believed in that, it's almost like a status thing, I guess. Because even in 2000, 2020, I see many comments of people telling me that they are the direct descendants of Ragnar Rothbrook. So people do make stuff up. <laughs> Well, so this is um, another uh, a subject for another podcast that I'd like to do at some <laughs> point. You know, this this uh, idea that uh, oh, I descend from this and that legendary Viking, right? Um, this is because he shows up in lists of genealogies uh, that some uh, say typically historical figure has has listed. Like, I descend from this and that person, this and that person, this and that person, and so on. Ari Frodi, the uh, one the um, one of the first historians from Iceland was great at this. I mean, he, there's no end to the cool people that he descends from. 
And of course, if, if you go and then uh, research your lineage and you find out, oh, I descend from these and these uh, named historical figures from Norway, um, then, you know, then you can go through that and then see that, oh, these historical figures in, say, um, 13th century Iceland or 12th century Iceland, they said that they descended from these, these legendary figures. And if you don't know the difference between the historical and legendary figures, then of course, yeah, oh yeah, I descend from Ragnar Lothbrok. That's, that's a very um, common thing that, mm-hmm. that, that happens, of course, um, when you're not clear on like what, what is the source basis for, for the existence of this person. Um, so, so yeah, and this is the problem that we have with a lot of the early Scandinavian history. I mean, so many of these early kings that we definitely say existed in different capacities um, as Scandinavians, when we look at royal lineages and all that stuff, they when you start reading their stories, like especially if you as a historian start examining Saxo's history of the Danes, you find that whoa, there's a lot that's being made up right here, right? And that's the same with the sagas, you know. Um, They just do it in different ways. And sometimes, you know, you have scholars who tend to believe that certain certain kinds of literature are more truthful than others and so on and so (laughs) forth. When you should be perhaps a little more chill about that and be like, yeah, they're all making stuff up. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, if there was a... the, The good thing about this is that if there was a historical figure named Ragnar who had a bunch of sons in Scandinavia in the 800s, and these sons had sons and daughters and so on in Scandinavia, the likelihood of uh, anybody with uh, some Scandinavian heritage descending from them is actually pretty high. That's the the statistical fact. (laughs) So basically I'm wrong for laughing at all those people that tell me that they descend from Ragnar Lothbrok. Well, so in a sense, they might be right. In a sense, they might be wrong. <laughs> you know? I just feel like a massive knobhead now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I mean, I think the statistical probability of any Dane being somehow related to Harold Bluetooth is that, you know, 60% of us, um, or the gene pool of Denmark, the 60% of the gene pool of Denmark um, has ties, genetic ties to that Okay. You know, known yeah. Viking, right? And that's the same for all Europeans uh, in the, in that corner. That the, you know, that they, in, when you go that far back, we get closer and closer. That's just how you know statistical probability works. <laughs> I think I think that's probably a good place to kind of wrap up the the bits about about Ragnar. And um, I've certainly learned a lot, and hopefully, other people have. We may not be able to give a definitive answer once again, but I think it's certainly given food for thought. Definitely on my end, I've really enjoyed kind of like going one direction and then you just ruining it all and <laughs> make me go back in the other direction. And so I think other people will will also enjoy that. And there's a couple, we've got a couple of questions. And um, one's a bit of a fun question, which was um, why did they make him dress so ridiculous in the show? and <laughs> um, <laughs> i think it's it's quite commonly known that the the clothing on the show isn't the most accurate yeah so i are, are they uh, the the person uh, asking this question are they referring to the scene where where he's killed and put in the uh snake pit or or it, it appears that he's just asking in general but i probably maybe 
yeah so okay i have a couple of comments when it comes to like the way that people dress in this show um okay. first of all what is up with those uh leather armor that looks like somebody's lawn chair kind of thing you know that kind mm -hmm. of like chairs you have on a patio uh, yeah. why, why, why did they choose that? There's, there's so much awesome archaeological material from, you know, the period 4, 400 to, to, to 1100 that when you're making stuff up anyway um, for the show Vikings, you could have used that. Like mm -hmm. those awesome helmets from, um, from Vendel in Sweden, for instance. Like why didn't they, they, they use those? Um, as as like the standard helmet for Vikings when yeah. when they want to make stuff up anyway, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's that's it's something that disappointed me a little bit. That yeah, that, I, I always find that a little bit lazy. It's it's there is you know there are things that we as a, as a fan of this of this kind of area, we I don't mind that they're going to take Ragnar and do their own thing with him and and make stuff up and, and make a good story from it. But when you do have historical evidence there for certain things like the way they dressed, and particularly my big bugbear was the um, spoiler alert and nobody's seen the last, the latest episode, is where they where they bury Lagatha. They set it all up like the the Usberg ship with pretty much down to the T with the things they give her the grave goods everything, and then rather than burying it like they actually did, they just set it on fire, and it's for me it's just like you have we have these this amazing site that we know they did, they know what happened. You've gone through the effort of making it look just like that burial. Why not just bury the bloody ship? Don't, don't set <laughs> it on fire. You know, there's a detail uh, that's even more disappointing. So there, there is a, a theory, uh, archaeological theory on the Osebeck ship that half of it was actually outside of the mound for about six months before they covered the whole thing. I was going to say, if you told me they set that on fire, I was going to be really pissed off. No, no, they didn't. <laughs> no, but 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 look, just think about this, like as a as a display. It looks like a ship literally sailing into the underworld. Yeah. If if that were the case, right? I mean, mm -hmm. if they had done that in the show, that would exactly. have been really awesome, right? That would have been um, really cool. It's all. It's almost like they they feel like they just have to set set stuff on fire and throw blood on everything <laughs> to make it cool. That's kind of like almost way. yeah. <laughs> It's almost like they feel like they have to do that to make it look spectacular. And like you say, that ship sailing into like the underworld would have looked really, really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, that, yeah. You know, sometimes you just, you know, you can always wonder what went into that particular uh, element. What was the thought process behind that? And you know, it's the same with the the dress. Um, you know, there could also be sort of like just basic reality issues involved here. Like, oh, we can't afford that many metal helmets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not our budget. Well, it, um, it could be. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to just sit and just slay the show because I actually I enjoy it. I, I kind of like just detach from what I do know and just sit there and empty the mind and listen, you know, and, and enjoy it for what it is as a separate as a separate piece, kind of loosely based on on the on this world but it just as a you know as its own thing so i don't want to just make people think that you know i just hate the show which i absolutely don't it's just there's a few little things where i think where we do have the evidence there that it, it, it would be nice to to people like us that do have an interest that kind of that nod almost as you know 
maybe we don't, you know, maybe the story's gone its own way, but hey, check this out. We've, we've, you know, we've, we've kept these little bits quite close and it's almost like a, like, like a nod to the people who do know and who do like this culture. Oh yeah, I I agree with that. You know, I I, I don't uh, dislike the show either. I I've I've watched um, not the the, the latest uh, season, but uh, but uh, up to that point, and and I've enjoyed watching the show. It's good fiction, and it's also it, you know um, they are as true to the historical aspects of the Viking Age as those Icelandic saga writers in the 13th and 14th century. Uh, <laughs> who were also inventing a lot of things and 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 being creative with the material, and I think that's fine um, because ultimately it's for entertainment, and and you don't have to be historically uh, accurate for that. Um, you know, uh, you can always sit there in, in hindsight and question so many aspects of it, right? As we're doing right now, um, but ultimately, I mean, there there are so many. Uh, thoughts and things and ideas that have gone into the the processes that um you know it's also a little perhaps a little unfair uh, yeah. of us to 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 criticize them too much that's it. i think i think it's so easy for for people to to pick it apart be like well i don't like this they didn't do that they didn't do this and then just be like i don't i don't like the show mm. and and kind of and slay it when the reality is i'm glad that there is a show that is bringing people towards Viking culture and and into kind of Norse mythology and into listening to our podcast, ultimately hopefully buying things from my company, you know that. that <laughs> but it, it it brings more people to to the table, and, and the more people that are interested in this, the better. So yeah, you know, yeah. It, I'm happy that you know if, if if there's a show about Vikings is there, then I'm I'm glad to watch it. it might not be 100 percent historically accurate, but it, it's still a show about something that i i enjoy you just kind of got shut off those those parts of your brain that, that say well that, that's not quite right oh yeah i agree as a as a as a professor of this stuff i mean it's my job it's my job to to make sure that people uh, get um as accurate as possible knowledge about uh, the material and and also especially is my job to make sure that people understand that 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 our sources are scattered fragmented and not all not everybody will be able to have the entire sort of broad overview of like the source situation and and it's simply complicated and that's you know you know if you want to learn the facts about the viking age the few facts that we can say about the viking age you know go take classes at the university um and uh, otherwise yeah enjoy enjoy good fiction like like the show vikings <laughs> What you should have said is listen to the Nordic Mythology podcast. <laughs> That's another good thing to do. <laughs> right. We have one last question, which goes back to the last episode we did. Um, we'll just quickly hit this and then we'll we'll get off. Um, so basically, it's just asking if there is a difference between the Visigoths and the Goths. And that is from Lindsay Fallon Denny. Yeah. So, um, so, so. The, the, I, we referred to the Goths last time as mm -hmm. as like this uh, uh, group tribe of of Germanic peoples, and it's a it's a very good question. Like, uh, what about the Visigoths, right? And these, well, the thing about the Visigoths is they uh, they are a subset of the Goths. Uh, maybe they are uh, the 
the primary part of the 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 the, the peoples that we call the Goths. They're the ones responsible for invading Rome uh, um, under uh, Alaric the First in in uh, 410, and 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 sacking it, and then they establish uh, kingdoms in um, in the western parts of the Roman Empire in uh, in Spain uh, uh, among other places, and and. Um, uh, also uh, become a federati of the Roman uh, Empire um, and and settle in um, uh, southern Gaul and, and elsewhere. So, so what we have in the uh, historical sources, the Roman sources, are the mentions of the Visigoth and um, and and the Ostrogoths, and they're, they're, they are set identities of of Gothic peoples, and. Um, the question is like, where do these people come from? What what is their relation with one another, and so on? There are some uh, scholars that have suggest, oh, Visigoth is some kind of like a, a, a term for Western Goths and Ostrogoths uh, for Eastern Goths, and that might be possible, but it's also a bit of a stretch when we look into the uh, etymology and so on. But ultimately, what it probably means is simply. Um, some kind of tribal division within the Goths. There are the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths. And yeah, and, and then a bunch of associated tribes too. <laughs> that feels like an awfully simple answer. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, I can complicate it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, I think that's, that's a good answer. You know, that's, that's hopefully what uh, Lindsay was looking for. Yes, yes. Perfect. Well, this is big. It's been fun. I've I've really enjoyed it. I think there's a lot, a lot of food for thought. I've definitely learned some things. Then had to unlearn some things, <laughs> think about some other things. So it's definitely kind of given me a better idea of who, who Ragnar was, or, or kind of who he wasn't. And yeah, yeah. No, I know. I I hope this was a, a helpful um, to everyone uh, listening. Um, obviously, again, I, I apologize that I can't make it less complicated, especially with a guy like Ragnar, because there are so many different, diverse uh, sources uh, where some are uh, very short mentions and others yeah. are long sagas and some are poetry and some are prose and so on. Um, but I hope, if nothing else, it was helpful to get a, more, a little more sense of like uh, what what has gone into the creation of the figure that shows up in the, in the, um, in the show Vikings, of course. And, um, and I also hope that it doesn't take anything away from your personal reverence of the figure, uh, whether you um, believe you descend from him or you just like his stories and so on, but please continue um, just doing that <laughs> um, as much as you want. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, even though, um, the source situation might be a little iffy. Well, hopefully what we do is that we give, I say we, mainly you, give people the information and then they can take away from that and make their own mind up about what they think. Not everybody's going to think the same way. So some people may listen to this episode and think it was one person. Some people may listen to it and think it was multiple people. But what we're trying to do is give give the knowledge, show you this is what we know, and then allow you to make your own mind up and go your own direction, and hopefully do your own research onto what and who these people were. Exactly. Thanks for listening.
Thank you very much. Uh, like, for instance, the Swedish colony in Delaware that kept important, uh, importing foods from Sweden because they couldn't figure out how to grow stuff there. <laughs> but those are it's sort an expensive of expensive way to do it. Right. That's, I think that's why they gave up that colony. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, it didn't last too long. No, I think it was 30 years when they sold yeah. it. Um, but yeah, the, the, those are more anomalies than than. Um, what seems to be happening across the planet when when peoples migrate, they they usually manage to to adapt to the local um, um, uh, climate, as you say, as, as one thing, and and quite often also in some way or another integrate with the um, the, the peoples uh, living there. The, this tendency of not doing that, uh, not integrating, as we see in colonial times, is uh, you know more distinctly modern than. Than not, and of course, I'm I'm painting with broad strokes here because you can find plenty of examples of of peoples who haven't done that or have only done that to a certain extent, and so on. But I would say that if we look at it, you know, in the broad perspective, um, what we usually see is that migrating peoples, wherever they land, they, you know, assimilate to some extent to to what was already happening there, right? Um, and that's that is definitely what happens with these Goths when they're moving around in in the Mediterranean, Southern Europe, and Northern Africa. And so, our next question is then: uh, What is it that makes them Germanic? When do they stop being Germanic? Like how um, how many layers of Roman garb are you need, do you need to wear to <laughs> to to be Latin <laughs> as opposed to Germanic, and so on, right? That's always defined by the period in time that is looking at it, right? Whether it's contemporary or later periods and, and so on and so forth. To the extent that these peoples were still speaking the Gothic language, I guess they would linguistically qualify as Germanic. They become something else once they, you know, have, have been moving around for several centuries and settled in several areas, right? Yeah, so I think we've kind of rounded up that it's it's complicated once again. It's always very complicated. So that's it. You know, it, it's it's a term that, that I guess is used kind of as an all-encompassing term for, for people of, uh, around that kind of area. And, you know, I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. In some ways, I think there could also be positive aspects to talking about a Germanic identity I mean, if nothing else, it, it, it makes people who otherwise are busy um, figuring out the, the ways that they're different, even though they're incredible, incredibly similar, um, it makes them uh, or it gives them a possibility to, to think about each other as, as more common uh, with one another, like that they share a commonality. So I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So should we have a quick look at Anglo-Saxon, and which is another one, obviously, that is around in the, the, the same time of the Viking Age. Um, we all know that the Vikings and the Anglo-Saxons have a, a huge run-in in 
in Britain. So let's you know let's quickly have a look at who they were at the at the time, and it just hopefully it gives people a better understanding of kind of like the whole of who's around and what's going on. Yeah, so you know, I think the, from from the perspective of of someone like me who um, is a scholar of uh, of uh, the Viking Age and 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 all that stuff, right? Uh, the interesting thing is, um, what does Anglo-Saxon actually mean in terms of commonalities with Vikings um, coming over, Scandinavians settling over there? And first of all, we have to, of course. Keep in mind that the Angles and Saxons and Jews migrate to uh, Britain uh, in the 400s and then establish their little kingdoms. And for a very long time, they don't necessarily see each other as as you know uh, as the same. We the, the Saxons don't necessarily see um, the Jews as 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 the same as themselves and the Angles and so on. So that's the first thing to realize that when these Scandinavians show up in the British Isles, we have a bunch of um, Anglo-Saxon kingdoms and the Anglo-Saxon here means um, Angles and Saxons primarily um, that are different from one another. Um, so therefore there's not a unified single Anglo-Saxon identity. Then, you know, we have the process of uh, some kind of unification um, under Alfred the Great. At least he manages to establish alliances and, you know, uh, you know push back against the Scandinavians. And, and this, of course, you know, brings people closer in terms of an Anglo-Saxon identity. But if we think about, you know, the period from 400 to 793, when the famous attack on Lindisfarne happens. Well, what is happening in that period? We have, first of all, we have peoples from Northern Germany and Southern Scandinavia migrating to Britain, right? And when we start looking into some archeological aspects of these early, especially the East Anglian cultures, you know, they, Sutton Hoo as a great example, they have a lot in common with Scandinavia. So, you know, we, we should ask ourselves, is there simply just like, do they cut off ties as soon as they have arrived over there? Probably not. And another important uh, hint in that direction is um, from the 500s, we have the establishment of the Emporia, these trade ports along the North French uh, coast and uh, also um, on the British Isles. York is a great example of this. And these are trade ports that are directed, you know, northeast um, because trade is getting more difficult in the Mediterranean. And so that means that we have trade going through Scandinavia from the British Isles and also, you know, the French coast. And again, that would then indicate that there is a little more communication across the channel, <laughs> across the North Sea. And, and then we have the Vikings showing up. And they don't show up out of the blue. I mean, they, they, they don't come out of nowhere. They, they're part of that, you know, long, uh, you know, chain of interaction that, that begins with the Angles and Saxons and Jutes migrating over there. 
when these Scandinavians, they show up on the shores, the linguistic differences between the languages that are being spoken by these Angles and Saxons in, in England um, and then the Scandinavians aren't that big. They would be able to communicate with one another. It's not like what we see in Vikings where they're like, oh, I have to learn your language. It's more like, oh, you speak my language, but it's broken, <laughs> you know? So, so they're much more, you know, similar than different. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, so they already knew that the Britain was there, the, it wasn't a case of like, I guess if anybody's watched the show Vikings, as you, as you just referenced, <laughs> In the first episode, I think Ragnar has like his little stone, and it, it's almost like they're a discovering of a new land. Yeah, no, um, no that's kind that's... of how it's made out to be. It's you know, it's 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 I've got this stone, it lets me go, you know, sail sail to, to, to a different place, and then we've discovered this new land that's that's, that's got wealth. And yeah, no, we have pre Viking age, um, Scottish artifacts found in Norwegian graves, so there's there's communication across um yeah this they, they know about each other and to some extent there are relations too and um and that of course then of course should tell us that when when we when we see them in the source material um talking about each other um, especially the saxons talking about these northmen or Danes or heathens, as they usually call them, as uh, um, when they talk about them as, as something that they don't really know or understand, um, that's political. It's it's because it's because all of these people showed up and and started conquering stuff. That's why we don't like them. It's not because we don't know who they are. It's not because they they are like in fundamentally different from us. You know, they're probably, you know, they are very certainly primarily pagans, right? Um, and and uh, we're dealing with uh, English kingdoms uh, that are Christian at this time. But nonetheless, aside from that, we know pretty much who, who we're dealing with here. We we know that that oh these these guys are the ones who are doing the same thing as our you know ancestors that we saw the light and became Christians instead and. And that's the main difference between us. And then the fact, of course, that they kind of seem to want to conquer stuff at this point. Yeah, so it's not it's not just some new some new race of people that have never been seen before that are giants and swinging these giant axes around. And, <laughs> Absolutely <you> know, not. <laughs> and and the other thing is that you know this this what we can see is also. When we look at you know the prolifer the proliferation of artifacts in trade ports in Scandinavia in this period in the Viking Age, when we can see that there is a drop in trade, that's when we see you know warfare intensifying. So what we're really dealing with here is is uh, you know local chieftains, rulers, and so on trying to maintain a steady income, and if they can't get that from trade, then they get it from warfare. And conquest. That, of course, then begs the question: What is the Scandinavian motivation for going, you know, to the British Isles, particularly? Because that is something that they do. And it, I mean, you, 
you can see this from all the Scandinavian place names scattered around the, the English countryside. Uh, there's there's a, a very big influx of Scandinavians in this period. It, they're probably just doing exactly what their cousins did. Uh, you know, the Anglo-Saxons and Jutes that came from southern Scandinavia and northern Germany. Uh, these later Scandinavians, 300 years later, 400 years later, they they know what's up. They, they're like, yeah, let's go do what, uh, you know, those you know, distant cousins did some, some several hundred years ago. Let's just, uh, you know, go colonize. <laughs> yeah, let's go take some, take some wealth. Yeah, and you know what? Maybe, maybe they they even expected you know a friendly greeting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, you don't. I mean, <laughs> you don't know. Because, I mean, you again. You've got to remember it's a different time. There's there's no internet. There's no kind of like let's just see what's going on over there. Let's message our our friends who who moved to a different land. You they have no. They probably have no idea what they're ultimately going to find. No, and um, I mean, they, they, all they know is reports from uh, traveling merchants, right, that are coming through the area. And and if some traveling merchant says, you know what, there are these you know awesome places where uh, they have a bunch of gold and they have no guards because all they do is pray to some god we don't know anything about, then of course somebody's going to say, well, that's an easy target. That's my sitting duck right there. Let me shoot it. <laughs> well that, that that's it that's i mean let's go make a name for ourselves let's uh let's go take some gold yeah exactly what is really interesting is of course this concept of the dane law that's then being established right and um because we, we then have a treaty that is being settled where we sort of like define some kind of uh weird boundary uh, between where scandinavians are and um where where the uh, Saxons are. But the thing about this Dane law is that we can't really find any really solid evidence for actual legal concepts that are specific to the Dane law and also similar to what we see in Scandinavia. So, so it's not like, you know, this is quote unquote Danish law that rules this area. Um, it's more something that, that has to do with um, ethnic distinctions, perhaps, because we see, you know, in times of political turmoil, the, the difference between Danes or Northmen, as they are also called, and then Angles and Saxons or Anglo-Saxons is being invoked, you know, again and again. And we also have, you know, genocides, um, it, it, it attempted ex exterminations of Scandinavians, um, and then retaliations as well. And that is where things really start to in integrate in the beginning of the thousands. And then, of course, what we already have at that point is an integrated elite, right? We have a English, Scottish uh, even, and then Scandinavian elite that is being more and more integrated. And that's, of course, also part of where Normandy fits into the picture, right? Because what do we have in the beginning of the thousands? Well, we have Knut the Great who manages to take over, um, what is it, in uh, 10, 16 to 18, he's, um, he's waging war and then he gets elected um, in the Wheaton as King of England. He's more a King of England than he's a King of any Scandinavian country, even though we Danes love to say that he's a Danish King. 
and then you know um uh, some 40 uh no 50 years later we have um we have Willem the Conqueror showing up and who is Willem the Conqueror well he's a cousin of of these guys <laughs> right yeah i always um, i always find that quite interesting because my my kind of like lineage goes back to the to the Norvids. so it's always been my little sneaky way of being like oh well you know because <laughs> of the vikings so there's a link there yeah there you go <laughs> it's always uh there's always a way to link back to the vikings one way or another yeah and 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 that's that's again like if we go back to the example of the goths so we have these um vikings that go to normandy get land and then you know start speaking f- some kind of french and they, they use their own terminology for certain things. Uh, several, uh, you know, maritime words in French, and especially in Norman French, um, are direct descendants of, of Scandinavian. The same in English, right? When when the, the the whole thing goes down at Stamford Bridge, right? What do we have? We have Harold Godwinson, the so-called last Anglo-Saxon king, on the one side, and we have. Um, um, Harold Hardruller, a so-called Norwegian king on the other side. Why is Harold Hardruller there? Well, he's there because he's got a family tie claim to the throne. And Harold Godwinson, as much as he is Anglo-Saxon, his mother uh, is Scandinavian. And then, you know, Harold Govinson is lucky enough to defeat his cousin <laughs> or distant cousin. And that's when his other distant cousin then shows up, what, eight months later and, and defeats him in Hastings. <laughs> oh, it's, it's such a mess. It is such a mess. It is it's such a mess. But I, don't, I don't think we or anybody can ever strain it out completely. No, no, of course not. Um, but it's interesting, though, that, you know, when we talk about English history, Norman conquest is sometimes, at least, maybe more often than not, represented as some kind of like French invasion. Right? Yeah. But but it's not a French no, no. invasion the, the, more than anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> the, the Vikings got us one way or another. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> and that's <laughs> when... A, they, that, I think our, you know, our histories, our our DNA is 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 locked together. No matter how you how you look at it, whether you're you're English or you're Scandinavian. Oh yes, yeah. you know our the histories are just entangled for forever. I think you're right about that. <laughs> right, I think that's a a good place to to wrap this up. It's been a I think it's been a long one, but hopefully we we straighten out a few things, a few. A few words that, that people get thrown about and and hopefully straight out for, for going forward so people have a better understanding about what all these things mean. I know I certainly do. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, that you do. I I, I hope uh, um, your listeners are bear with me uh, yeah. <laughs> as I no, go on these long rants. And no, they trust me. The messages we get, they they definitely enjoy. Enjoy that's, the long rants. That's that's wonderful. If nothing else, you can always pass. Okay, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so going forward, we we we're going to try and commit to two episodes a month on the first and the fifteenth of every month. So just try and get a bit more structure. Try and get a bit, a bit more regularity to it. So you guys know exactly when we're going to be releasing the next episode. So you can anticipate it 
Absolutely, yeah, and, and we love those uh, listener questions. So um, we're we're going to put in a segment at the end of uh, each uh, episode from now on, where we take questions um, that uh, Daniel will uh, uh, pick out of a hat or something like that. <laughs> I'm sure I'll advertise them for on our Instagram, and we'll uh, we'll make a list. You know, yeah, do a couple each each show. I think that'll be fun. Yeah. And basically, yeah. I mean, if anybody has has any feedback for us, any anything you'd like us to add, or anything we, we could alter or do better, feel free to let us know. I mean, pos- positive or negative feedback is always the best way to learn. It's we're we're not going to get upset if you say, you know, we like the show, but maybe if you did this, obviously, please don't just come at us and be like, you know, it, it's it's shit. Stop doing what you're doing. But you at least, you know, it, yeah, you, you guys are terrible. Like, at least, you know, if you, if you come and say, you know, start out with something nice, maybe we enjoy the show, but and then and then you know, just let us know what we could we, we could maybe do better, what we could change. We we we're both learning at this. We're both you know trying to do try to pick up as we go along. We certainly are. I want to yeah. thank everybody who has been listening to this uh, episode. And I am looking forward to hearing your comments and feedback and questions in the future. Yeah, wonderful. Well, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's been a long one, so hopefully you've all all enjoyed it, and we will we will see you soon.